a special welcome to you as well. And the truth of the matter is, today's a little bit uh, bittersweet for me. Um, after 28 years as your pastor, it's time for me to relinquish the reins. And um, God is good. And in order to make this easier on me, uh, the Lord brought to our fellowship three years ago, KP Pass, and uh, I love this brother. He's been a faithful, faithful servant of Christ alongside of me. And I've discovered that the brother is a brother after my own heart in so many ways. As a matter of fact, so much so that a couple of weeks ago, we both came to church dressed the same way. <laughs> Go figure. Um, but uh, Paul wrote about young Timothy his protege, these words, he said, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served me in the work of the gospel. And that's how I feel about KP. And that's how KP has been. Now, I've entitled today's message, Fair and Well. Not farewell, but fair well. And the reason I um, entitled it this way is, is because my prayer for you is that you will fare well in the days and weeks and months and years ahead. As a matter of fact, my text today is found in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through 36. If you have a Bible, you might want to Turn there with it. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the chair in front of you. You can grab that and have it. And if you need a Bible, let us know. We have a whole case, a couple of cases of Bibles, and we'd love to give you one um, so that you could have the Word of God. Now, this passage that we're going to look at this morning is Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. And in the message, Paul actually says to the Ephesian elders, you will never see me Again, now I will tell you, you are not so lucky, okay? I am going to be around, um, you know, I won't be here all the time, but I will be around. I've already told KP that I'm available to him anytime. The leadership of the church has graciously said that I will be the pastor emeritus, um, which basically means when KP can't be here, and hopefully they'll call on me and I'll get to come back and preach. Um, to you. So instead of saying farewell, I want to say fare well. Now that word fare is an intransitive verb and it means to get along and to succeed. To get along and to succeed. And my prayer for you, Gateway, is not just that you will survive, but you will thrive in the days ahead. Now, with that said, let's get into our text. Apostle Paul says from our Luke reports from uh, Miletus, Paul sent for the, to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived among you the whole time I was with you from the first day I came to the province of Asia. And, and 
you know, you all know me. Hopefully you've uh, known me for, for many years. Uh, I think the greatest testimony for me last night came in our uh, farewell dinner when uh, um, William said that uh, I'm the same in church, at home, on my front lawn, wherever I am. And, and I hope that that, that has, has shown um, that I have lived well in front of you this whole time. I serve the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. Now that part's not true for me because I didn't have Jewish opponents. Um, but it's part of the text, so I have to read it. Okay. Um, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. I've taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jew, Jew and to Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray that these words uh, of Paul has, has been true of my years here at Gateway. You know, from the first day, November 10th, 1991, my desire has always been to be faithful to the Word of God. Jeremiah, the prophet, said, let the one who has my word, God speaking to him, says, let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. And I have sought to be faithful to the written word of God, not to the traditions of men or denominations, but to the word of God. And I believe that the Bible is God's revelation to us. And while I know that there have been messages that have been tough, and things that perhaps you've disagreed with, and things that you would rather not have heard, I've always tried to preach that which would be helpful in building up to you. And God's my judge on that. I know that one day I'm going to stand before him and I'm going to give an answer to my ministry. As a matter of fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews said this, Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit for you. And with very few exceptions, very few exceptions, my years at Gateway have been a joy because of you. So thank you, thank you, thank you for that. And I pray that you will continue that with KP as well. Both of us realize and take very seriously that one day leaders are going to stand before God and we're going to give an account for how we led everyone who came through those doors regular attenders as well as one-time guests. I'm going to account for how I impacted their life. And that's a heavy responsibility. My life, only by the grace of God among you, has been consistent. What you see in public is what you get in private. And I pray that that's true for all of you as well. Because it's so easy to be one way in public and something totally different 
in private. But I pray that there's a consistency there, and, I, and I've tried to model that to the best of my ability with God's help for you. Now, in verses 22 through 24, Paul talks about his call to go to Jerusalem, and he knows he's in for trouble if he goes. But he knows that God has called him to go. And despite the trouble that he knows he's going to face, Paul is determined to be obedient. And I don't know why God is calling me this late in life to a new adventure. I've wrestled with God over that like Jacob wrestled with the angel. Now, if you read this in Genesis 32, it says he wrestled with a man. But if you go over to Hosea 10, Hosea says it was an angel. Um, and from what we see that, it was an angel. And he wrestled with it. My decision was not made lightly. Because I don't know what God has in store. I feel kind of like Abraham where he says, you know, everything that you know, forget it. You're leaving this place and you're going over here where I'm going to show you. Just go with me and I'll show you what to do. And, and that's kind of an interesting place to be. But here's what I know. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. And to be obedient, whatever he says. It doesn't mean that it's safe. Please get that out of your head. I was listening to the radio this morning, and they were talking about, you know, how we can be confident in 220 because God's in control. And, and I understand that, and that's true, but uh, 2020. Um, but, but understand, they talked about the election. God's in control of the election that's coming and everything. And, you know, you just need to understand something. Yes, God is in control, but we may be under God's judgment. So it may not be easy what we're coming, but we're safe as long as we stay in the center of his will. And they may kill our bodies, but they can't touch our souls. Never get, never forget that truth. You know, we get this idea that, you know, hey, if everything is going great, God's happy with me, and if everything's going difficult, it's something must be wrong with me. No, no, no. Just walk with him in obedience. I don't know what God has in store for Mara and I, but I know this, have to be obedient. And being obedient will be best for us, and it will be best for you as a church. And so like Paul, if I can use the Perel Loose translation of um, verse 22, he says this, and now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going in a new direction, not knowing what will happen to me. But when you follow him, you're safe. Best place to be. So in keeping with this farewell theme, let me give you my final instructions from the word of God. And I want to give it primarily to my leadership, my elders, and the KP as well. He says, keep watch over yourselves and the flock of, holy, of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. Now, 
leaders, you can't lead properly the church if you're not leading yourself properly. It starts with you. Keep watch over yourselves. That's where successful Christian leadership starts. Guard your hearts. Guard your eyes. Guard your mind. Guard your thoughts. And church, you need to give your leader space to do this. Because ministry can be devastating on families because of the demands of people on leaders' time. Now, you, you don't know that, but the, the truth of the matter is, is you know, you have a crisis and, and you call the leader. And what you don't realize is you got, you know, a hundred other people doing the same thing. And it can become difficult. And so, church, just be aware of this. If, if you call on KP for something and he can't come to the hospital, or he can't be there at the time because of a family commitment or because of something else, just, you know, be happy that an elder will show up. Don't expect it to always be the pastor. You know, sometimes people, I had a guy one time quit the church because he said, if, I'm not, if the pastor won't come and see me, I'm not accepting an elder. I'm not good enough for the pastor. I'm not good enough for anybody. And, you know, don't, don't be like that. Be mindful that they have to keep watch over themselves and their families as well. Be sensitive to that. You know, early in my ministry, I decided that my first responsibility, my first responsibility, my first ministry was to my family. Because if I didn't have a ministry in my family, I didn't have a ministry anywhere else. Now, that got challenged real early because right after Colin was born, um, I got the opportunity of a lifetime. I was an evangelism major at Moody, and I thought I was going to end up in evangelism, and I got invited to an international evangelist's house. I'm not going to use the name. And uh, we went there, Myra and I went there with Colin in his little car seat. And uh, we sat in the house, and the guy was giving me, you know, the, you know, the pitch to come and be with him, be part of his team. I was going to be a part of the setup team for the Crusades. And, you know, I would go in before he would go in um, and do the Crusade. And then eventually I might get to be uh, an associate evangelist as well. And um, he said to me, look me in the eye. And he said, now. He said, you need to understand what this means is you're going to travel three out of four weeks every month, 10 months out of the year. And I looked over at Colin in his car seat and I said, I can't do that. I said, my first responsibility is to my family, to this, this one that God has, has entrusted to my care. And um, he said what all evangelists say, because I would have said it as well back then. Trust God to take care of your family. And I said, I do trust God to take care of my family, and he has given me that responsibility. And here's what I know. KP, you, you know this too. Anybody can step into my place here. Nobody can step into my place as daddy. So that's the most important ministry 
that we have. Keep watch over yourself. And many times in my ministry, those boundaries have been tested. Now, sometimes I've passed the test. Unfortunately, sometimes I have failed the test and failed to keep my family first. And one of the things to, to be aware of is, is one of the ministries that KP, and this is a ministry, as far as I'm concerned, it's a ministry. KP has been the coach for his son's football team um, for a long time now. Defensive coach, right? Yeah, three years, okay? And uh, I encourage him in the first service, I'm encouraging him in this service, and I'm doing it in your hearing to keep that up. It's important for KP, little KP, and it's important for outreach. You, you forget about this. And, and church, what I'm encouraging you to do is make sure you understand that this is an important ministry and give him the space to do it. If he can't be here on Wednesday night because he's got a, a football game, don't think, well, where's his priorities? His priorities are exactly where they need to be. And leaders, step up and assist him at that point. Give him the space that he needs. Now, my call, my answer to my call to ministry came in 1972. And I responded believing that God was going to do some really great things for me and through me. And to tell you the truth, my ministry has not taken me anywhere near the path I thought it was going to take. And what I believe right now, 47 years later, what I believe is my greatest success in ministry, and Mara's greatest success in ministry. Our greatest success in ministry is not what we have done, but who we have raised. That's Myra's fault, not mine. <laughs> Effective ministry begins with keeping... By the way, let me just give you the... the, the, the uh, this, this was Thanksgiving Day. Colin won tickets to the Falcons game, Thanksgiving Day. And they asked me if I would go with them. It's the first time ever I have been at a professional football game. Um, during regular season. And so it was a, a marvelous time. As you can see, we were having a great time. Um, but effective ministry begins by keeping a close watch over your own life before you start to keep a watch over other people's lives. And if you want a biblical support for that, Jesus said this, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly enough to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, notice also in our text something Paul said that we can gloss over a little bit too easily. Be shepherds of the church of God which he has bought with his own blood. Never underestimate the importance of the church. 
Too many people are doing that today. Never underestimate the importance of the church. The church is important because it has God's name on it. God's the Father's name on it. It is the church of God. The church is important because the Son shed his blood for it. And the church is important because the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, indwells believers and gives us gifts to serve effectively in the fellowship. It's a serious thing to be a part of the family and church of God. Take it seriously. Now, Having said this, Paul addresses three dangers facing God's church. First of all, he talks about the danger around us. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. And this is true in every church. This past Christmas season, I was talking to my brother-in-law who happens to be an elder at Midway Presbyterian Church. And uh, he was telling me about a guy that attends their church. And he said, the guy comes and he sits, and they have a huge church. And uh, he said, the guy comes every week faithfully. He sits near the front and immediately opens his Bible, following what the pastor is saying. And then he's flipping back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, checking everything and rechecking, cross-checking references. And I thought, you know, the guy's not listening to the sermon. <laughs> he's too busy looking to find something wrong. And then my brother-in-law said this. He said, I went to him as an elder and I said, uh, you know, you've been coming here for years. Why don't you join the church? And here's what the man said. I'm not Presbyterian. I'm just here to keep you straight. Now, I promise you this. That is a wolf in the flock. That's trouble. Wait have and he gave me some more information uh, about the man and to kind of confirm that for me. Now, these savage wolves that Paul's talking about, they're false teachers. They're counterfeits who exploit the church of Jesus Christ for their personal gain. They are religious racketeers. They are the people who say, send me your seed money, and God's going to bless you. Give me your greatest gift, and, and you know, put it in that little paper that I gave you, and wrap it up and send it back, and you know, in a year God's going to double that, or he's going to triple that, or he's going to do this. And it's important, it's important, it's important that as leaders, you know the Word of God. It's important as students, you know the Word of God so that you can identify when the false comes. You need to watch who you watch and pay attention to what you listen to. Because here's what I know. These false teachers are coming into our churches every day by way of television and radio and other ways. And, and you know, people are excusing it because, you know, the guy's a great preacher. I know that he's not saying everything right. But, hey, you know, he's really, you know, 90% of the time he's right on the mark. It's that 10% that's dangerous. 
Be aware of that. Don't put up with it. Not everyone who uses the name of Christ speaks faithfully for him. Just be aware of that. That's the danger that's around us. Then Paul says there's a danger among us. Even from your own number, men, and we might even say women, will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. In every church, in every church, in every church, there are people who are vying for places of prominence. Places of importance. The Apostle John warned the church of his day about a man by the name of uh, Diotrephes. When he said this, he said, I wrote to the church about Diotrephes, who loves to be first. Now, this is the Apostle John, the disciple that Jesus loved, writing. And Diotrephes, who loves to be first, won't even welcome him into the church. He won't welcome us. So, when I come, I will call attention to what he's doing. Spreading malicious nonsense about us. Not satisfied with that, he even refuses to welcome other believers. He also stops those who want to welcome them. And he puts them out of the church. So obviously this guy is a man of influence. The person who, who has the power to keep people from church. Now here's what I know. You don't have to be in a leadership to keep someone from coming to church. We used to have a lady here that, that would come and we had seats out in the foyer and she came to me one time and she said, she said, Pastor, she said, I just like the way we are. I don't want new people coming in. They're going to mess up our fellowship. She had no leadership position. But what she did have is influence because what she did is she sat herself out in one of those chairs and everybody that came in that she didn't know, she glared at. I mean, she just looked. She was a gatekeeper. And there are people who, who do that. They set themselves up. He doesn't belong in this church. He, he needs to go somewhere else. They decide who gets in and who doesn't get in. And the bad part about it is that they're already in the fellowship. They are. Paul warned the people of Rome about people like this. He said this, he said, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who put divisions and obstacles in your way, contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Now, the way that that happens in many churches today is we have people trying to teach cultural norms and denying the biblical truth. And we can't have that. You know, just because something is accepted in a, in a culture or something, and, and so, you know, now all of a sudden, well, you know, since it, it, it's a cultural thing, you can't say that a woman can't be an elder. Yes, you can, because the scripture says it. Sorry, ladies. When you find it different in scripture, tell me, and I'll change my mind. But we want, we want to bring... Thing and we, so, so we bring teaching that are contrary to the scripture because it's culturally acceptable. We see that with homosexuality today in many churches, unfortunately. 
Paul says, keep away from such people. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetite. They're trying to get ahead themselves. They're like Diophysites, trying to get ahead themselves. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Now, naive doesn't mean that they're stupid. It doesn't mean that they're ignorant. It means these people are just unprepared. They don't know the truth, and so they're easily fooled. All you got to do is, you know, flip here, flip there, flip there, apply this, and, and all of a sudden, you know, you're kind of leading them down the wrong path. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us solid food is for the mature who by constant use, there's the key, constant use, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. You are not going to grow spiritually spoon-fed. If you are not picking this up for yourself, you're in trouble. You're st- I don't care how old you are, how long you've been with Christ, you're still a baby if you still have to be spoon-fed. Now, moving forward, he says this. He says, watch out for those who cause division, put obstacles in your way. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving the Lord Christ. Watch out for people like this. They are not looking out for the welfare of the church, and they're not looking out for your welfare. They're looking out for their own benefit. And they come complaining about church leaders, and they plant seeds of discouragement and destruction in a church, try to give, you know, wrong thoughts in there. And I think the church, just personal opinion, I think the church in general does a very poor job by putting up with people we ought to be putting out when it comes to this. And we need to watch this. We have a responsibility because we are shepherds over God's flock. Watch for people within who are looking to get ahead so they can get a hold of something and twist it to their own advantage. So, dangers around us, dangers among us, and now the most difficult one. Danger within us. You know, Jeremiah said, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who could know it. And I think that's one thing that we Christians tend to gloss over and forget, that the heart that beat an Adolf Hitler still beats in you and beats in me. And there is no sin that we are not capable of. And if we just got that, we wouldn't be as judgmental as we tend to be at times. Danger within. He says, be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Now this seems to be Paul's greatest emphasis in his ministry. Whenever you read his book, he's always talking, any of his writings, he's talking about be on guard, watch your heart, watch your mind, Watch yourself. He going back to verse 28 where he says, keep watch over yourselves. And then he names five sins, five sins that are destructive to the life and ministry of believers and of the church. The first sin is a sin of carelessness. Be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you that night and day with tears. Don't fail to stay alert. And don't forget the price that was paid to build the church. 
the price that Jesus paid, the price that those who have gone before us paid, in order that we can be here today. Watch and remember our words that we need to hear and heed. It's easy for us today to forget the toil and tears of those who labored before us. Paul's warning and weeping should be a constant reminder for us to take our spiritual responsibility seriously. Carelessness. Second is shallowness. Shallowness. Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace which can build you up and give you an inheritance among those who are sanctified. We cannot build the church if we are not building ourselves daily. It's where it starts. It's where it starts. And the balance here is prayer, I commit you to God and to the word of God and to the word of his grace. Because these two work together. The word of God alone is able to edify us and enrich us. And every spiritual leader and every Christian should be spending time every day in this book and on their knees. You say, Pastor, I am just so busy. Just turn off the TV for a few minutes. Because you have time to do that. Just a thought. Third is covetousness. Covetousness is a consuming and controlling desire for what others, I want what other people have. Paul says, I've not coveted anyone's silver, gold, or clothing. Now, Paul told young Timothy, you must not be a lover of money. And when I entered ministry, the late Dr. Billy Graham, I'll never forget the advice he gave. He said, God gets young preachers in three ways, money, morals, and pride. And then he gave us ways to combat that. And so when I started Gateway, one of the things that I did is I just made sure that my leaders knew I wasn't going to have anything to do with the financial workings of the church. Um, so that means I don't write checks. I can't sign checks. I don't want that responsibility. I don't know who gives what. Now, that, that makes some ministers mad because they think, you know, you need to know what people give. Listen, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. If I knew what everybody was given, here's what would happen. Even though I wouldn't want it to, but I guarantee you it would happen because we're people. So I get a guy that's given $1,000 a week, fighting with a guy who gives $10 a week, and they come to me for arbitration, and I'm thinking, which one can I afford to lose? So I don't want to know what people give. And I don't know. I, you know, you're giving it between you and the Lord and between those who have to do reports for you. But I don't know, generally, who gives what. And I did that because I didn't want finances to ever become a way for someone to discredit my ministry. 
I have never asked for a raise in this church. Now, this church has been very good to me. I've been here 28 years. Not one time have I gone to any of the board members and said, I need a raise. And I expect a raise. Because that's not important to me. As a matter of fact, every decision I made in ministry to this point, and now I'm doing it again. It's been a step backwards financially for me. Money can't be important. Fourth, <laughs> laziness. Laziness. Paul says, you yourselves know these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companion. You know, Paul earned his way as a tent maker. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. But Paul earned his way as a tent maker. Even though he could have used his apostolic authority to demand support from the churches he was planning, um, have an easier life, he never uses that. Now, it is not wrong for a leader to receive a salary. Scripture says the laborer is worthy as hire. So it's not wrong for a leader to, to get their salary. Paul told the church at Thessalonica, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who honor you. Now, just understand this. Paul worked for ministry. I do not believe in bivocational ministry. I, I don't. I, you know, I, I think, you know, you hear about it all the time. It's become a big thing lately again. I'm not for it because I guarantee you if you want to destroy your family, just make somebody a bivocational minister because he's got to work 40 hours at his job. Now he's got to work 40 hours at his church, and where does the family get nothing? Now, I think there may be times when bivocational is necessary, but I don't believe it should be the norm. I believe you should take care of your spiritual leaders financially. But for the spiritual leaders, your job is to work hard. Don't become, it's so easy to become lazy. Don't become lazy. You work hard to earn your money. You know, when I was entering ministry, my, my father was opposed to it. He didn't want me to enter ministry. My, my dad was a blue-collar worker. When I got my master's degree from Wheaton College in ministry, he thought, that was nice. But when my brother got his master plumbing certificate, that was an accomplishment. Because he was producing something. And when I told my dad that I was leaving my studies in pre-medicine and medical studies to, to go into ministry, he was, he was not happy. And uh, he insisted I come and work for him for a little bit. Now, I didn't know the thing that he was doing is he was testing me at this time because he thought that I wanted to go to ministry because I wanted to get out of work. I thought I was lazy. That didn't know how to work. So when I went to work for him, he gave me every dirty job he could think of. I, I'm, I'm not kidding you. We, we had a warehouse, and this warehouse had a basement that was a city block long, this basement hadn't been touched probably in 10 years. One of my first jobs was to go clean up the basement. I went down to that basement, and guess what? There was no lights in the basement. It hadn't been touched in 10 years. When I got the lights on, I finally changed all the light bulbs. I got the lights on. The garbage was piled up because for some reason they were putting the garbage downstairs in this basement, um, and it was piled up to the ceiling. I had to climb those piles 
to get it out. That was my job, clean out this basement. And that took me a number of months to, to, to do that. Um, but I did it. And, and the reason that, that I did it is, is because I believe that this is just my, even as a kid, my philosophy is this, work willingly at whatever you do as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. So I was cleaning that basement for the Lord, not for my dad. And he was impressed. And he gave me a lot more dirty jobs to do. And then when I got past all of those, he realized, okay, he's not lazy. He's not trying to get out of work. And he became my biggest supporter in ministry. And for many years, I was in evangelism ministry where I had to raise my own support in order to do what I did. He was my biggest supporter because he knew that I wasn't afraid to work. I hadn't gone into ministry because I was afraid to work. Now, that's on a professional level. Let me talk to you. Let me talk to you. I can do this now because what are you going to do, fire me? <laughs> Some of you are lazy. You come week after week after week after week and you sit and you soak and you never serve. And you're lazy. And if that describes you, you need to know something. You are hurting you as well as hurting the body of Christ. Get out of the seat and serve. Even if you think the task is beneath you. It's menial. Finally, Paul warned us about selfishness. Selfishness. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering that the words of Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, if you go through the gospel, you will never find Jesus say that. This is part of an oral tradition that apparently Paul memorized. And it doesn't mean that a person who's receiving is not blessed, because I guarantee you, when you give to somebody, they're blessed, right? When you help them. Um, so maybe you could better paraphrase this by saying, it's better to share with others than to keep what you have and collect more. Maybe that would be a good translation of that. In other words, blessings come not from accumulating things, but from sharing things. Jesus became poor so that we could become rich. So let me remind all of us that if you know Jesus as your personal Savior, you have been given the gift of the indwelling Holy Spirit to help you live the Christian life. You have been given at least one gift of the Spirit to help you serve other people. If you are not serving somewhere, you are disobedient. Plain and simple. If you are not serving somewhere and you are a Christian, you are a disobedient Christian. You were not saved to sit. You were saved to serve. On the night he was to sacrifice his life for us all, Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the creator of all, 
took a towel and did the lowest job in his culture. He washed the disciples' feet. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example for you that you should do as I have done for you. Do as I have done for you. Verily, truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Now, let me just hit this off at the pass. Some of you are already talking about, oh, wait, we need to do a foot washing ceremony. We're not talking about that. This is not a ritual that Jesus is talking about. He is talking about a life of continual service. Not being so self-important that you can't stoop to do the menial, quiet, unnoticed job. And if nobody recognizes you, you won't continue to do it. Sorry. Some of you, I do that all the time. Some of you, some of you, and you know who you are, need to stop holding out for management positions and start serving where you needed. And when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and he prayed. So let me just do that. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray right now for this body. I thank you for them. I thank you for their support over the years. I thank you for the times that we have laughed together. I thank you for the times that we have cried together. I thank you for their generosity, not only to me and my family, but to mission projects around the world. Lord, we have not really communicated that as effectively as we should, but this church has done an amazing, an amazing, amazing job. Above and beyond the call of duty, and I pray that you would bless them and continue to bless them. And I pray for my brother KP. I thank you for him. And I pray that you would guide him and direct him and bless him as uh, he steps in, takes over these reins. And Lord, I pray that you would guide the church as they decide what they're going to do permanently in the days ahead. And uh, Father, above all things, I pray for myself and for everyone present that when you come, we will have been found faithful and ready. Help us to live as if you're coming today. 
and work as if we have a thousand years. In Jesus' name, amen. Joey and Myra.